0: Welcome to Refuge. Here we study through the Word of God verse by verse, and we've been doing a chronological study of the Gospels. And so there are some Bibles on the back table. Please go ahead and grab one of those if you do not have one. And if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 9. So as we've been continuing this study chronologically through the Gospels, it's been really amazing to see all that God has had for us so far. And we're seeing Jesus continue in His earthly ministry and all the many things that He is doing here. So last week we studied in Mark's Gospel and we studied Jesus in the region of Magdala. And if you remember, Jesus encountered the local religious leaders here. And just like normal times, right, the religious leaders came out with a heart to question Jesus because they wanted to discredit who He was and they came with the intent to contend with Him and to try to find a way to trap Jesus in His words. The religious leaders were spiritually blind. And so Jesus, He contended with them, and then He left them. While He was crossing northeast on the Sea of Galilee, He took that time to teach His disciples, who were also spiritually blinded to what Jesus was trying to teach. They couldn't comprehend what Jesus was teaching, because they were blinded spiritually. And so Jesus taught on that. And if you remember, Jesus called out specifically... The teaching of the religious leaders, which was a teaching that was rooted in pride and hypocrisy. And as we shared last week, the culprit for any spiritual blindness is pride. And if there's pride in your life, in your heart, or in the ministry God has called you to, it needs to be dealt with. Or it will turn into something a lot uglier and will destroy your ministry and the relationships God has you in. After arriving to the town of Bethsaida on the northeastern end of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus encountered a physically blind man, and Jesus touched him and restored his sight fully. So we're going to pick it up in Luke's Gospel today, in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to see what happens next, starting in verse 18. So if you're following along, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. And it happened, as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So we find Jesus alone here. Now the question is, where is Jesus? Is He still in Bethsaida? Or has He traveled somewhere else? Well, Matthew's Gospel tells us the answer in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Luke's Gospel leaves this part out, but Jesus had actually traveled to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is around 40 kilometers from the last place we saw Jesus in the town of Bethsaida. And this was a city that was at the base of Mount Hermon, and we're told in Mark's Gospel that Jesus was actually in villages around that area. So this is where Jesus is at now when he asks this question. Now I want you to notice we find Jesus here in this place. I want you to notice what he was doing. The first thing that we see Jesus doing here in verse 18, it said he was alone praying. See, if you read the Gospels, you realize Jesus really never had a break. Jesus was always, always going in ministry, always encountering people who wanted healing, always encountering people whom he was teaching, and watch this, always facing opposition. There were always someone to come out and contend with Jesus. Whether it be the religious leaders, whether it be demon-possessed people, or whether it just be his own followers who decided to follow him no more. Jesus was always encountering opposition, but he was constantly ministering. And yet Jesus was able to carry on within ministry, not burnt out. He didn't commit sin within his ministry. He didn't have reproach. He was always obedient. How did he do this? Well, Jesus was always found praying. Always found taking care of himself spiritually and spending that time with the Father. And once again, what a great example for us as we are to minister, we need to be in prayer. I read this quote this week and I really like it. It said, praying is supposed to be like breathing, easier to do than not to do. But I read that and I, and I thought to myself, well, praying is very difficult for me to do at times. I find it very difficult to find time to pray during the day. And this is exactly what the enemy wants. He doesn't want us communicating with God because this helps and strengthens our relationship with Him. A Christian without prayer is a very unhealthy Christian. Just as we take care of ourselves physically, we need to take care of ourselves spiritually. Prayer is the sign of a healthy Christian. And just like in any relationship, communication is key. Without communication, you don't have a healthy relationship. And I'm sure if you're married in here, you can attest that's true. You need to communicate with each other. And in our relationship with Jesus, if we're not communicating with him, we're going to be an unhealthy Christian. Now, I want you to also notice where Jesus went to pray It said he went alone praying. Jesus rid himself of any and all distractions so that he could be focused on spending that time with the Lord. It was very important to him. How important is it to you to find time away from distractions, away from the things of this world, to spend time with Jesus? And maybe you're sitting here today and you feel pretty unhealthy and unwell, not physically, but spiritually. And the factor could be there's a lack of prayer in your life. First Thessalonians 5.17, Paul wrote this, pray without ceasing. And this is what we're called to do. So Jesus' his disciples, they come join him, and then he asks them this question, who do the crowds say that I am? So let's see the disciples' response in verse 19. And they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. So the disciples answered Jesus's question of who people say that he is. And the first name that the disciples say is people think that you're John the Baptist. Now, you and I might read this and think that's a pretty wild thing to believe. But this was a very common belief amongst the people. As a matter of fact, we're even told that Herod Antipas believed Jesus was John the Baptist, according to Mark 6.14. Now, others thought that he was Elijah. Which is an interesting thought, because the last time we saw Elijah in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 2, he was taken up to heaven and he never saw death. So this might have been a good thought for the people. Maybe it's Elijah. Maybe he's come back. It was also prophesied, though, in Malachi that Elijah would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that's why Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah, right, who was the Elijah to come. But this idea that people thought Jesus was Elijah, it was a pretty sad idea. Why? Because it gave people hope that the Messiah that they had been looking for was coming after when really the Messiah was right there in front of them. And that's really sad, right? They were missing the hope that was right in front of their eyes. The Messiah was there. He wasn't coming later. He was there right now in front of them and they were missing it. And many people today are missing the hope that is right in front of them, the hope of Jesus And so it's our responsibility once again to go out and point people to this hope. Point people to Jesus. You know how many people end their lives every day? You know how many people have the thought of ending their lives every day? Why? Because they're hopeless. They don't understand that there is hope and that there is a peace that can be found. And we need to be sharing it with them. Now, Matthew's account of this story tells us that other people thought he was Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And the point is this. Many people thought Jesus was someone that he was not. They thought of him to be lower than he truly was, and they thought of him to not be who he said he was. And this is still happening today. The deity of Jesus is constantly being attacked. People always want to tear down who Jesus truly is. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a good man. Jesus is Savior. But what about God? Jesus is God. He is Lord. And the deity of Jesus is constantly being attacked today because Satan doesn't want people to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because the Bible says it's through acknowledging that Jesus is Lord that we are saved. And so, of course, Satan wants to tear down who Jesus truly is and blind eyes to who He is. Now, the people, they wanted the Messiah to be someone who would liberate them from Rome. And so having the idea that Jesus was maybe Uh, Elijah, it gave him hope because Elijah stood up against King Ahab and Jezebel. He took a stand against them and their rule. John the Baptist would publicly call out Herod. And so the people, they wanted to believe that Jesus was one of these men because they wanted Jesus to meet their expectations instead of the real desire of their heart, which was to have peace with God. They wanted to believe a Jesus that fit their perspective, a Jesus that made their lifestyles justifiable or comfortable. And the same is true today. Many want Jesus for their own desires instead of wanting Jesus to follow him as Lord. Many people don't want to acknowledge the desperate need that they have for Jesus. Many people don't want to turn away from the sinful life that they once lived. And following Jesus, it means we're to change the way that we live. We're not called to live the same way we once did. And people, they don't don't like this idea. But unfortunately, there's many Christians doing the same thing today. They try to put the lordship of Jesus on a leash. Jesus, you can lead me as far as I let you lead me. I'll do what you want me to do when it's convenient for me. I'll I'll follow you when I'm comfortable. Jesus, I'll do what you want, but it has to be on my terms and on my conditions instead of just a heart that's truly surrendered to Jesus. If Jesus is our Lord, as we're going to get to shortly, it means we do what he commands us to do, not when it's convenient, not when it's comfortable, but we do it because he is who he says he is. So let's look at verse twenty and see what happens next. See Jesus' response. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. So Jesus responds, and I want you to notice in Jesus' response, he doesn't scoff at what the disciples said. He didn't say, People really think that about me? That's that's dumb. John the Baptist was killed, and people think, I'm John the Baptist? I'm sure Jesus wasn't walking around with camel's hair and eating bugs, right? But Jesus, he doesn't scoff at what the disciples answer him. He doesn't even comment about what people think of him. And that's important to know. Why? Because despite what people said about Jesus, it didn't change who he was. And the same is true today. No matter what people say about Jesus Christ, it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. And many people around you, they want to tell you what they think about Jesus, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is who He says He is. He is Lord and He is God and one day we will all give account of Him and bow before Him. Philippians 2, 10-11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Jesus... He addresses the real heart of the matter by his follow-up question to the disciples. He said, okay, that's what they say about me, but who do you say that I am? What a question. And this question that Jesus asks his disciples is a question that we are each to ask ourselves sitting in here today. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, this question applies to all of us. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he to you? I'm not asking who he is. We know he's Lord. We know he's God. We know He's the only way, truth, and life. I'm asking, who is He to you? Who is Jesus to you personally? Peter responded by saying that Jesus was the Christ. This is a profound statement. And we read this today, and it was like, okay, yeah, Jesus is the Christ, great. When Peter professed that Jesus was the Christ, Peter was saying, you are the Messiah. You are the one that was prophesied of for years. You are the one that we are looking for have been looking for. You are the expectation of Israel. You are the son of God. And in saying he was the son of God, he was saying you are God. And we know this from John 5, 8. We're not going to turn there, but it tells us that when Jesus claimed to be the son of God, the people all knew he was making himself equal with God. So Peter's profession is a huge statement that he makes. You are Lord. You are God. Now, this is an impactful statement because if we answer the same way Peter did in saying, Jesus, you are my God, you are my Lord, it must change the way that we live. We cannot merely make this statement and live however we want. And so if Jesus is Lord to you, then your life must drastically change and it must be lived out in obedience to what Jesus commands us to do. If Jesus is Lord, then that means we live in subjection to that Lord and we live in obedience to him. And if Jesus is Lord to us, then it means that we love Jesus. What does loving Jesus look like? Loving Jesus looks like this, obeying his commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. First John five, verses two through three says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So I asked you, who is Jesus to you? You say, well, Jesus is my Lord. Of course he is. Do you love him? Oh, yeah, of course I love Jesus. Are you obeying him? Because you might say something with this, but this might be a completely different matter. Do you truly love Jesus? What are his commandments that we're to obey? Well, to name a few, we're to preach the gospel. We're to go out and make disciples. We're to go out and love God and love people. We're called to live like God lived, like Jesus modeled and demonstrated for us. To pray without ceasing, to give thanks, to not repay evil to anyone. Are we doing this? Our obedience to God stems from our love for Him. And if we don't love Him, we certainly won't keep His commandments. And many times I fall for this trap. Many times we'll complain about how hard it is to obey Christ and His Word. Have you ever done that? You you say, Lord, it's so hard to obey you. It's so hard to do what you want me to do. That's an interesting thing to say because the verse we just read in 1 John tells us his commands are not burdensome. So why is it that they're so burdensome to me sometimes? Well, it's because maybe I've been lacking spending time with him. Maybe my love for him has grown a little cold because if we truly love Jesus, it shouldn't be considered a job or burden and do his work. It should be a joy and pleasure. Just like with someone that you love in your life, you do nice things for them, you do good things for them. Why? Not because you have to. Not because it's a job to you. You do it because you love them. You want to do it. And this is how it should be in our relationship with Jesus. Serving God's not a job. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. We're not entitled to anything serving God. We're privileged to do this, and God can use anyone He wants. We're blessed to be a part of it. Our heart's desire should be to please the one that we love. So I ask the question again. Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? And are you obeying his commandments? And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. So the question still applies to you. Who is Jesus to you? And you might say, well, Jesus is someone that my friends know of. Jesus is someone that people have been telling me about. Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. Jesus needs to be your Lord. Why does Jesus need to be your Lord? Why isn't just believing in Jesus enough? Why do we have to put our faith in Him? Because it's only through putting your faith in Jesus that you will have eternal life. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I have great news for you. God has been drawing you to Himself. He loves you and He wants a personal relationship with you, but you need to make that decision. Jesus is knocking on your heart, but you need to let Him in. You need to surrender to Him. And so for all of us, is Jesus Lord or is He not Lord? Is He Lord of all or is He not Lord at all? Let's look at verses 21 through 22. And He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, verse 21 is an interesting verse. I thought it was God's desire for all to be saved. I thought Jesus wanted all people to believe in him. I thought Jesus wanted people to come follow him. So why does Jesus now say to his disciples, "Okay, don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ? He wanted his people to believe in him. And now he's telling his disciples, don't tell people I'm the Messiah. Why would Jesus say this? Was Jesus contradicting himself? No, I think the answer is written out for us in verse 22. Jesus knew his mission was to go to the cross. Jesus, he came, yes, for his people Israel, but he came to redeem not just them, but the whole world. That through faith in him, all might believe and have eternal life. Now, if, if the news that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah became this widespread revelation, surely the zealots would have come, all the people would have come, tried to make Jesus an earthly king, and start to fight whoever opposed him. And Jesus even said this to Pontius Pilate when he was on trial. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would rise up and fight. Jesus, he knew what his mission was. His mission was to come and redeem us and to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, He didn't come to fix the political atmosphere. He came to save the world from something far worse. Sin. And so Jesus didn't lose sight of His calling. And this is why Jesus warned them, don't tell anyone. Because Jesus was heavenly-minded, fixed upon the calling that God had placed on His life. Now, Peter, right? He just had this great moment, this great mountaintop moment. Oh, you're the Christ, you're God, hallelujah. Well, Matthew's gospel gives us a little more information that Luke leaves out. So turn over to Matthew 16. We're going to read what Peter's response to this is. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, Peter says this in response to Jesus telling him that he was going to suffer. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And it was for this very reason that Jesus told the disciples, don't make this known that I am who you say I am. Because everyone's response would have been the same response as Peter's. This will not happen to you, Lord. Peter was earthly minded and Jesus rebuked him for it. Right? Peter went from being this, this spiritually minded man who had this his great moment of professing Jesus for who he is to now this earthly-minded moment, and Jesus rebuked him. He, called him, he didn't call it Peter Satan, but he, he said that the thought that came in Peter's mind was from Satan. That's not a pleasant thing, right? But Peter was earthly-minded. He couldn't comprehend the fact that if Jesus was who he said he was, that he would suffer. Peter thought about the here and now while the mind of God is on eternity. And many Christians have the same mindset as Peter, Right? They're very focused on the worldly things and very worldly-minded instead of heavenly-minded. They believe that if you're a Christian, all your problems are going to go away. You won't get sick. You won't suffer. You'll have a good life. However, the life of a Christian includes many hardships. Those who teach the prosperity gospel, which there's many of them, they're going to give account to God, and they have a strict judgment awaiting them if they don't repent. But it's not biblical what they teach. The life of the Christian is full of hardships and trials. Within the suffering of Jesus that he lists in verse 22, he said that he would suffer many things. He said that he would be rejected by the elders. He would be rejected by the chief priests and scribes. This was a big deal. These were supposed to be the religious authorities and leaders who were teaching people about the Messiah. And Jesus, who was the Messiah, was right there. And these very people were going to deliver him. And finally, Jesus said, not only that, but he was also going to be killed. This was the cost that Jesus had to pay for carrying out the will of the Father. This was the cost of our salvation. And if you're not a Christian, you might think, all I have to do to go to heaven is believe in Jesus? That's easy. Well, it wasn't easy. Jesus paid a heavy price for our salvation. The price of our salvation and forgiveness, it wasn't cheap. Jesus paid dearly for it. He paid his life for it. Jesus, He knew all the tremendous hardships He would face. He would be falsely accused. He would be spit upon. He would be rejected. He would be blasphemed. Denied by His own disciple. Betrayed by another one of His disciples. Be flogged by the Romans. This was a brutal process. Most people were killed during this process. Then Jesus would bear His cross and be crucified, overlooking the city, so all people could look on Him with shame. And the Romans historically would also invite people to come up and spit upon the people on the cross. It was a very shameful display and a very painful one. And yet Jesus did it. He did it for you and He did it for me. We were valued so much in the eyes of Jesus that He said, I'm going to go through all this and I already know everything that you're going to do against me. I already know all your sins and I'm still going to do it for you. That's who we are to Jesus. So once again, I ask, who is He to you? Because many of us, we say, well, yeah, Jesus is our Lord. But we don't want to accept the, the fact that if Jesus suffered, we're going to suffer too. Maybe not in the same way, but we're going to go through hardships as well. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Jesus said this right before he was betrayed. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. That's quite different than what many people teach today. Paul also wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, in all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let's read it again. In all, all means all. Who desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. This is the cost of making Jesus your Lord. So I love how Jesus asked this question and then he goes on to describe the sufferings that he went through because we have to be willing to give up and be willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus. Now that's not to say we're all going to die a martyr's death, but we should be willing to. That's the difference. You know, it's funny because the word martyr, I was sharing this Friday in youth group. The word martyr, it's only found a handful of times in our English translations. But if you look to the Greek language, it was in there several times. Because the word martyr was used to describe anyone who bore witness of Jesus. And it's not to say that all those people who bore witness of Jesus would die. But it's anyone who bears witness of Jesus should be willing to give up everything, their freedoms, their rights, and yes, even their life. That's a lot of different perspective than what many people teach today. Are we willing to give up everything for Jesus? The cost to follow Him is not cheap, and sometimes we won't have to pay the same cost that many of the people in the Bible did. Again, not all of us are called to die martyrs' deaths, but all of us should be willing to give up and lay down our lives for Jesus. And once again, you know, many Christians who claim they'll die for Jesus but won't live for Him. Peter fell for this. You remember Peter, I'll die with you, I'll die with you, Jesus. If they all forsake you, I won't. And then he denied it three times, right? And there's there's many of us who might have that same heart or maybe at one point had that heart. And there's many Christians today who still have that mentality. Living for Jesus has become based on circumstances today instead of who He is. And we should be living for Jesus not based upon what we're going through, but based upon who Jesus says that He is. And many Christians, especially in the Western world, they refuse to give up their lives completely, right? Maybe they'll give 98%, but maybe not quite 100%. Are you giving your all for Jesus? One of my favorite stories was a man named Noxeng who was from an Indian tribe. It's actually who they wrote the song, Um, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. They based it off of him. And he has an amazing story. But in the late 1800s, some Christian missionaries came to this Indian tribe. And they shared Jesus with the Indian tribe. And this man and his whole family accepted Jesus. It was great. And not only this, but he didn't keep his faith to himself. He went out and he shared it with others. And a lot of people in the village, they became Christian. They converted. They accepted Christ. But there was one person who didn't, the village leader. And he took this man and his family and he said, you better deny Jesus. And if you don't deny him, I'm going to kill your kids right in front of your eyes. And that's when he he said the line, I've decided to follow Jesus. And they kill his kids right in front of his eyes. And then they take his wife and they said, well, you better deny Jesus now because if you don't, then we're going to kill your wife right in front of your eyes. And he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. They killed his wife. And then they said, well, you better deny Jesus now, because if you don't, we're going to take your life. And he said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. That's what a heart that has counted the cost looks like. And that story today kind of gets frowned upon, right? Kind of frowned upon that story today. And we say, well, he shouldn't have done that. He should have thought about his family first. But for this man, his faith was the most important thing for him. Jesus was the most important thing. And His love for Jesus proved to be more than His love for life and proved to be more than the love that He had for the things of life. And this is the love that we're called to have for Jesus. And it's hard and we can't do it without Him. We need Jesus to have this kind of love. So how can we love Jesus more? Well, the answer is simple. We be in His Word more. We pray. We worship. We know Him more. For all of you married couples in here, you didn't just meet each other and say, hey, let's get married. No, you spent time with each other. You got to know each other. Right? You didn't go on one date and then get married. And if you, if you did, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Right, But you got to know each other. How did you get to know each other? You talked to each other. You conversed with each other. So how do we love Jesus more? We spend more time with Him. One final thought before we move on. This is way too important to skip in verse 22 because we talk about all this suffering and we talk about all that Jesus had to do for us. And yet we don't want to leave this part out in verse 22. He said, But I'll be raised the third day. The last thing Jesus said in verse 22 was that he would be raised from the dead, that he would be alive again. And this is so key. We serve a living God. We don't serve a dead God. And in case you came in here wondering, what's the difference between Christianity and the religions of this world? We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God. So for us in here, we need to stop sharing the gospel as if our God is created and as if our God is dead. Our God is alive. And that should make a huge difference in the way that we present Him to the people of this world. And understanding Jesus is alive, this should give us the strength to give up any and everything in this life. Why? Because we know that we're going to be with Him for eternity. I know my last breath on this earth is my first breath in eternity. Therefore, it doesn't matter what happens to me because I know I'm going to heaven. So the thought of that Jesus is alive, it should change the way that we live and it should change the way that we share the gospel. Because if Jesus is alive, we too will live with Him forever. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So this should change our entire perspective on life. Why? Because we now have hope. And watch this, not just a hope, but a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's look at verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So now Jesus is continuing to show us what a life surrender to him looks like. So first Jesus asked, Who am I to you? Oh, your Lord. Okay, well, I'm Lord. I'm going to go through this. And if I go through this, you might go through this as well. So Jesus first establishes there's a cost to following me. Okay, I'm still going to follow you, Jesus. Now Jesus is laying out what a daily surrendered life looks like to him. And in verse 23, he says that we are to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Now this is interesting that Jesus would say this. Because Jesus predicted his death, but now he's saying you need to take up your cross. So now Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what kind of a death he was going to die. He was going to be delivered into the hand of the Romans. It's a big deal. Maybe the disciples thought maybe Jesus would be stoned even though it was against the Roman law. The Romans banned the Jews from doing this. But maybe maybe that's what they thought. No, Jesus said he was going to be crucified. That's a big deal because he was going to be delivered into the very hands of the people that many in Israel wanted Jesus to overthrow. Once again, showing the perspective of Jesus was different than the perspective of man. Now, the word deny here, it means to disown oneself and forget about one's self-interest. And this is what we're called to do. Now I understand this is easier said than done. It's a hard thing to do. And I'll even add on top of that, it's impossible to do without Christ. We can't. We're not capable of loving and denying ourselves. We need Jesus for it. I can't do anything God calls me to do without Christ. We need Him. But by the power of the Spirit... We can do this because, once again, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more our desires start to change and our heart starts to receive desires for the things and ways of God. So the start of denying ourselves is daily being at the feet of Jesus. And many people say, well, I read the Bible, I pray, but does it need to be the morning? I would say, yeah, it should be. The first thing in the morning, before the day kicks in, before you start your day, spend that time with Jesus. I, I was praying this week, and I just sat down to have time with the Lord in the morning. And before I had time with the Lord, I was just mad. I woke up angry for no reason. And I just thought about what someone said to me two weeks ago. Why? And I just realized, I was like, Lord, I'm a mess. This is why I need to start my day with you. Because if I don't, and I don't work these things out before I face people, I'm going to be a bad witness. I'm going to be a bad testimony. I'm not going to be prepared. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to see clearly. So I would say, yeah, the start of denying ourselves is being at the feet of Jesus daily, first thing. Denying ourselves is surrendering to the Spirit, allowing our minds to change and to think like the Lord thinks, to live like He lives. Denying ourselves is surrendering our plans, our hopes, our desires to God's perfect will. And finally, once again, denying ourselves is realizing that we're not entitled to anything in ministry. We're privileged to do this. There's many Christians... Right? We we do the work of God, and they're like, Yeah, I want to get a pat on the back. You know, look what we do for the kingdom. We're privileged to do this. It's not a job. It's not a nine to five that, that we're like, Oh, I can't wait till this is over. No, this is a lifestyle, and it's a privilege we get to be a part of this. We get the privilege of coming into lives that are broken and hurting and getting to share what Christ has done. What a privilege. And Jesus said, Not only deny yourself, but take up the cross. This is a daily death of our flesh and the old way that we used to live. The way that our heart and our flesh wants to live for. When Jesus said crucify yourself, he doesn't mean physically kill yourself. right? He said to die to yourself, no longer live the lives you once lived. Paul wrote in Romans 6.2, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so maybe you're here and you wonder, if I follow Jesus, do I need to change the way that I live? And the answer is yes. Yeah, you can't live the same way you once lived. And I think many people who don't believe in Jesus, they ask many questions about Jesus. They want to know Jesus. But I think really the thing in their heart is they know if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, it means they need to change. And change isn't easy. In our flesh, it doesn't want to change. It's going to be very difficult to change. Especially if we've been in bondage to sin for for years It's hard to change, and our flesh doesn't want it. But crucifying ourselves daily, it means that we're no longer living the lives that we once lived. Now we're living holy lives separate from sin. And you might be thinking, I can't do that. Well, you're absolutely right. You can't. I can't. None of us can. But through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, which you have if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you can overcome any sin. Why? Because Christ overcame that sin for you. But following Jesus means we no longer live the way we used to live. Let's look at verses 24 through 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? I love these verses because many people, they say, well, you know, especially if they're not a Christian, what you said about following Jesus, it sounded great till you got to the part about suffering. Now, it doesn't sound so good. Should I really put my faith and trust in Jesus? Should I really follow Him? Yeah. Because in surrendering your life to Jesus, you find your life. In surrendering your life to Jesus, you find what your heart has really been longing for. It hasn't been longing for another car or new relationship. It hasn't been longing to experience that feeling that you once felt in sin. It's longing for peace with God. And you find that when you surrender your life to Jesus. And though the the Christian life is full of hardships and trials, I'm sure all of us in here can agree, there's no greater peace and joy that we have than following Jesus. There's no greater peace I've had in my life than doing what God has called me to do. Why? Because I know I belong to Him. And it's not always easy. The things of this world, they offer temporary happiness, but they can't bring joy. There's a difference. Jesus brings joy. He brings peace. He brings contentment. He fills the emptiness in our hearts. And on top of that, he, He provides for us. He does bless us. Right? Jesus didn't just say, follow me and you're, you're always going to suffer. No, he said, I'm going to give you tenfold in this life and in the life to come. So is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus? The answer is yes, because we have peace with God through Christ. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, this is worth surrendering to because this has finally filled the emptiness in my heart. Surrendering and finally having peace with God. That's what my lo- my heart, my life's been longing for. And that's what your heart is longing for as well. And it's found through faith in Jesus. And maybe, last thought and then we'll move on. Dying daily, back on, on the idea of crucifying our flesh. Maybe that act of dying daily, it's surrendering your desire to be right. Surrendering your pride. Forgiving people. Seeking forgiveness. Maybe even when you don't need it. Just an act of humbling yourself. It's not easy to do. I struggle with this daily. I, I like to be right. I don't like to be wrong. I don't like when people wrong me. But the walk with Jesus is not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. It's about loving Him and people. And maybe that's what it means for us daily to die. is to lay down ourselves and humble ourselves. So, look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. This is a sobering verse, and I, when I read it earlier this week, it really scared me. As I read it now, it scares me. And I think this verse should strike a godly fear in our hearts. Jesus said, if anyone's ashamed of him and his words, then he'll be ashamed of us when he comes again. This is not a verse that we see on coffee mugs or on t-shirts or on bumper stickers. This is not one that we send as an encouragement to people. This isn't on the daily prayer app, right? On the daily verse app. People like to exclude this one. It's a sobering verse. It should should put a godly fear in our hearts. Now, I've heard many people say, and I even read people, they, they commented on this verse and they said, if you're really ashamed, then you don't truly believe. I disagree with that. I don't believe that's true at all. I think there's many people who believe and love Jesus who are ashamed. Not because they're ashamed of Him, but maybe they're fearful of sharing Him. Maybe they're ashamed because of what it might mean, what might happen to them if they do so. So I would say that there are many Christians who love Jesus and yet are ashamed of Jesus and ashamed of His words. But we have nothing to be ashamed of. Why? Because the Word of God has the power to save. It's the power of salvation. Romans 1.16, the name of Jesus gives life You don't need to worry about offending people with the name of Jesus because it's by the name of Jesus they're going to come to faith. That's how they're going to have eternal life. Not being, you know, reserved in how we share Jesus with people. Share Jesus. He's going to change. Yeah, they might reject Him, but guess who has the power to save them? Jesus. And if they're going to come to salvation, it means that they have to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So should we not share Jesus? No, we should because it's by the name of Jesus that they're going to have life. You don't need to be ashamed of the hope that's within you. Share it. Preach it. Live by it. Be unashamed of the hope within you. We're not called once again to be timid, but to be bold Christians. And I know this could be a very difficult verse coming from me who has a Western world background. You might read this being from these countries and these cultures, and you might think, well, you don't understand, Christian. If I believe in Jesus and accept Him, I'll be rejected by my family. Is it worth it? The answer is yes. Yes. It is worth it. And I know that's that's easier for me to say than for you to walk through, but it is worth it. It's worth anything that you would have to pay. Why? Because you have peace with Jesus. You don't need to be ashamed of Him. But here's a thought for us. We need to heed this warning because we will face Jesus one day and we will give account before Him. So is your life lived out in boldness or is it lived out in shame? Let's look at our last verse, verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. So once again, I read this verse, and I, I, I'm not going to lie. I read it, and I'm like, what is this? Jesus, He said there's some standing there who aren't... They all died. They didn't see Jesus come back again, right? And I think it's important to ask these questions, not to just to glance over them. Jesus said there's some standing here who might not taste death till they see the kingdom. Well, they all died, and Jesus didn't come back again. So what does Jesus mean? Well, the word kingdom here, it translates to mean royal power. That's what the word kingdom means. Doesn't necessarily mean the way that we would interpret it, meaning as this, this this kingdom, right? But really, it refers to royal power. It re, it refers to the royal triumphant power of Jesus being the Messiah, and so therefore, many people believe one of two things. They believe either one that perhaps Jesus was referring to the transfiguration, which we'll get to next week, where he was appeared in this glorious form that the disciples fell on their face as if they were dead. Or perhaps it was a reference to seeing the resurrected Jesus. And we know not all the disciples in this story would see Jesus because Judas would kill himself. And so it's very possible it refers to that. Regardless, an application we can draw from this is this. Not all of us are going to suffer a martyr's death. Some of us may go to the grave happy. Praise the Lord. I hope that happens to us. Right? But for some of us, we might have to pay a cost. We might have to lay down our lives. So once again, the question is not, what will I suffer? The question is, are you willing to? If Jesus is Lord, He's Lord of all. If He's Lord of all, you love Him. If you love Him, you obey Him. If you obey Him, there's a cost associated to doing so. We're in enemy territory. If you needed to be reminded, there's 1% Christian in this country. Satan doesn't want us here. So of course, the offensive is going to be hard. Satan doesn't want us here. We're in enemy territory. So whenever we go out and we share Jesus, there's a cost that comes with it. But lastly, last thought, and I'll close with this. As we consider this question, who is Jesus to us? If Jesus is our Lord, it means that once again, we're going to love Him. We're going to obey Him. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to take up our cross. We're going to do what He's called us to do. And watch this. We're not going to live the same way we used to live. We're going to live a different life. We're going to live the redeemed life that Jesus has has given us. And if you're not here today and you don't know Jesus, this question applies to you. Who is he to you? You need to make this decision. And maybe you you think, well, I need some more time to think about it. You've been thinking about it since you were alive because God has put eternity on your heart. I don't think it's a matter of contemplating if Jesus is the one for you to follow. I think the real question you wrestle with is, can I really change? I don't want to change my ways. Is it worth it? Yes. The answer is yes. And I'll close with this thought. I know I just said that, but I really mean it this time. You know, I read the, I read these verses, and I'll tell you what I got super convicted. And then the great thing about preparing a study for it is you need to reread it over and over and so over. Oh, I'm like I'm convicted again. Oh, there it is again. These are not easy commands to follow. It's very difficult, and we all struggle with it. But here's the great news. We fall short every day, right? There's not a single person here that that struggles, and it's not as if these struggles are exclusive to you. We all struggle with it. The good news is we serve a God of mercy and grace and compassion, and a God who does pick us up when we stumble. A God that says, Oh, you fell flat on your face again, I'm gonna pick you back up. I was reading Proverbs this morning, it's a great verse. It said, The righteous man falls seven times, yet he doesn't stumble. Though he falls alert, he picks us up. We serve a God of mercy and grace who loves us unconditionally. So praise God. We don't have to live in guilt. We can change. And once again, if you're not a Christian in here, you need to answer this question. You need to choose to follow Jesus or choose not to. But don't wait for tomorrow because you're not promised tomorrow. Eternity is is in the balance of of your decision. And so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, so much for all that you've given us, Father. We thank you above all else for the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. For the gift of salvation we have freely in his blood. And Lord, we thank you that since Jesus is Lord, since he's alive, we too have life. We too have, we have forgiveness. We have hope. We have freedom. We have joy. And Lord, though there might be a cost of following you, Lord, we know it's worth it. Because nothing could ever even come closer compare to all that we have in you, Lord. And so we thank you, Father. Thank you for filling the emptiness and the void in our hearts. Father, challenge us, God. Take us deeper with you. Teach us how to love you more. Lord, give us the strength to obey You, to go out, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves daily, Lord, to humble ourselves before You and before others, and to, Lord, live the lives that You've called us to live. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the way it encourages us, for the way it challenges us. Lord, if there's one thing for certain, we all could keep growing and maturing, Lord. There's not a single person in here, Lord. We all need to grow more. We all need to mature more, Father. And we thank You for Your Word that teaches us how to do that. And we ask, Lord, that You would do that in each one of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you that you are compassionate towards us, God. Please continue to bless this time, Lord, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.